Welcome to episode 21 of Jesus and the Meteorologist. My name is Kevin Cookagee, and I am your host. Our subject is discernment, and our aim is to teach, to elevate your minds and to exalt your courage, to accelerate and animate your industry and activity, and to excite in you an ambition to excel in every capacity, faculty, and virtue. Our mission is to inspire young men and women and their parents to understand the present in order to prepare for the future, a task that necessarily demands a proper interpretation of the past. Our aim is to highlight the antithesis between the way of the Lord and the ways of the world, between the truth of Scripture and the opinions of men, so that we might reflect the light of life in a culture of death. Well, ladies and gentlemen, icebergs and homies, this is going to be a very different episode. By the time you listen to this podcast, the events of the last week will be a couple of months in our rearview mirror. But as I was preparing for this episode, I thought, what better way of fulfilling our mission than to distinguish between how Christians and the unbelieving world deal with an unavoidable eventuality common to both? Last week, my mother-in-law, that's my wife's mother, went home to be with the Lord. At 93 and a half, she was old and full of years. I thought if our object is to highlight the antithesis between the way of the Lord and the ways of the world, could there be any subject which provides more of a contrast than how a believer and an unbeliever view death? If we seek to discern the truth and distinguish it from the opinions of men, does not the topic of one's last breath force the issue more than any other? And what is a more appropriate means of reflecting the light of life in a culture of death than the very topic of death itself, which is, of course, inescapable. My wife is an only child. Her father passed away 24 years ago, and on his deathbed he admonished my mother-in-law to move to Tennessee to be with her only daughter, her son-in-law, that would be me, and what would eventually be her six grandchildren. Uh, we only had one child at the time. My oldest was six months old. To my wife's chagrin, her mother stubbornly refused our petitions for years. Oh, she came for Christmas every year, and we were able to escape to Pennsylvania from time to time to visit her. But for various reasons, most of them quite peculiar and funny, my mother-in-law insisted on remaining alone in her home in southeastern Pennsylvania. She would often say at Christmas, well, I need to get home in order to open the mail. Until one day in November of 2020, when she fell and broke her hip at the age of 92. Following successful surgery in Pennsylvania, we arranged to transport my wife's mother to Tennessee, where she was forced by stupid, inhumane COVID rules to isolate in a rehab center not far from our home. So she was here and within our reach, but the accommodations were kind of ridiculous. For Christmas, for example, we had to sit outside the building singing Christmas carols to my frail mother-in-law through a baby monitor while we watched her open presents on the other side of the glass in the hallway of the rehab center. So as soon as we could get her out of there, which was January of 2021, my wife's mother moved in with us to begin what would become the final 375 days of her journey. When we get back from our break... I'm going to talk with our icebergs and you, our listeners, about our incredible experience caring for and living with my wife's mother during the last year of her journey. You are listening to Jesus and the Meteorologists.
There are citizens in Tennessee working to reclaim the practice of self-governance in our state and ensure that a constitutional Republican form of government is preserved to future generations. We are Tennessee Stands. Do you want to get off the sidelines and learn how to stand for liberty in your community? Join us at TennesseeStands.org and on social media at Tennessee Stands. Welcome back to Jesus and the Meteorologists, a weekly squidget devoted to the topic of discernment. My name is Kevin Kukaji, and I'm your host. So I'm a bit conflicted about the decision I'm about to make here, quote-unquote, live on this podcast. Considering our topic, I am unable to authentically discuss my mother-in-law here without unmasking two of our icebergs. And by the way, we do only have two icebergs in the studio today. But because their input is essential to this episode, I need to let you know... Wait, this reminds me of when I was little. I was a big fan of Captain and Tennille. And um, there was always this myth about whether Daryl Dragon, who was the captain, ever had hair under his hat because he always wore a hat. And so there was the big conversation always about whether he was bald or not. And finally, on the day that he revealed it, and I think it was kind of inadvertent, we just saw pictures of him without his hat... He was indeed mostly bald, you know, just with a little <laughs> hair. <clears throat> so I feel like I'm doing that kind of a reveal today. I need to let you know, for those of you who didn't already, that Roger and Penelope are, in fact, two of my own children whose real names are... Wills. And Sophia. All right. So Wills and Sophia, I know you have a lot to contribute to this topic that I was unable to find an unawkward means of talking through this <clears throat> without pretending that you were someone else. Also, for those who listened to episode 21, sorry, not 21, 20, because this is episode 21, you will know that the Offices of Hypothesis is actually on sabbatical. During its absence, the Offices of Hypothesis will be replaced by Palaces of Analysis. (laughs) And my thanks to Wills for his recommendation for that title last week. All right, so actually, I'm going to... Actually, Roger suggested that, Wilson. Oh, that's right. Roger, a guy that we never met. I'm going to freeform this one by talking about and analyzing with my icebergs, Wills and Sophia, what happened once my mother-in-law moved in with us. We're going to talk about the unvarnished highs and lows, the good and the bad, the fun and the very difficult, with the expectation that by the time we reach the conclusion of the story, our listeners will notice a difference between how believers and unbelievers address end-of-life care. And it is my sincere hope that this account is edifying and encouraging. My contribution, I guess, to the emboldening of our brothers and sisters in Christ to obey the calling to live differently than the world. And by the way, before we begin, my wife and her mom listened to this podcast together in our kitchen every week. My mother-in-law, your grandmother, probably never imagined she would be the subject of a later episode. (laughs) So let's uh, pick up our story. Okay, so... Why don't you, uh, Wills and Sophia, let's talk about when your Nana first came home from the rehab center and uh, we were living in our old house where she and uh, your mother, my wife, were kind of confined to the basement. We had a basement suite, an area that had a bathroom and a bedroom, but they were kind of isolated from the family at first, right? And what would you say was the condition of your grandmother at that point? Um, I mean, she wasn't in great health when she first moved in with us. You know, she could get around get around on her own, but she was pretty quiet. She didn't, um, 
not, she always talked, so I shouldn't say she didn't talk. <laughs> she but, definitely always talked. But she was more, um, at, I don't know, definitely not in as good health as I think she got. With yes. I, yeah, because, definitely more frail. Yeah, when she came out of the rehab center, we actually thought she was going to pass a lot sooner, didn't mm-hmm. we? Yeah. yeah. She, she weighed like 82 pounds, and I told a lot of people, friends and family and church, that we didn't know how long she was going to be around. But because of the work that your mother put in, and making sure that she <laughs> got three meals a day. Uh-huh. And right? ate those three meals. <laughs> yeah, ate those three meals that she had been neglecting at the rehab center. And um, and your mother made sure that she got up and around, even if it was just from the chair to the bed, from the bed to the bathroom, making her uh, retain some sense of independence, right, yeah. and dressing herself in that. And then just the constant relationship. Right. Yep. And and the dialogue and the talking and they listened to scripture and the radio and they read scripture together. I know that I would join them before work uh, each day in the basement and listen to um, I think we listened to Greg Laurie a lot. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. And um, that was kind of my my time with them before heading out. And so, yeah, I I think that your grandmother then started to gain some strength as we went into the spring, didn't she? Yeah, she she got stronger. Yeah, definitely got stronger, got more lively. As it got warmer outside, you know, she'd go um, out on the back, kind of back patio, and she would eat lunch out there. You know, she was, which for her was a a long walk. It was a long, a lot longer um, of a walk than she was used to. Right, because yeah. she had a, she had a walker, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we had two walkers, didn't we? We had a inside one and an outside one. That didn't right. change till we moved. Oh, really? We yeah. did. We only had one walker at the old house. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sorry, we got ahead of myself in the story. Sorry. And then she began going to church with us in May, right? Yeah. Was she? I think so. I don't remember the specifics, but yeah. So she was able to she was able to go to church from from May until September. Um, let's talk about what she was able to do in the summer. We had a couple big events in our family this year, so I think her high point physically was where our sister's wedding. Yeah, at one of our sister's wedding, yeah, the one. first of the, the first of two this year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we had. Excuse me, we had two weddings this year, um, which was an incredible blessing, and it was incredibly busy because we we had a daughter graduate from college. That daughter went on to get married a, about six weeks later, and in between the graduation and the marriage, we also moved. Yep. So it was a an exciting time. It was a very busy time, but that was also, very the, busy. There was also the time, though, that um, your grandmother was at her peak health. If, if, in the time frame that she was with us, not yeah. peak health in her life, yeah. but in this last year. Exactly. So um, let's talk a little bit about how it was when we moved into the new home, right? We get through the wedding. I think she loved the wedding because she always, Bonnie's mom, my wife's mother, always enjoyed attention. Yes, right? mm-hmm. definitely. She was a performer. Yeah, she was a performer. And because of that, if it was a big event, she'd rally the strength and if she could get dressed up and... Um, put on not only a nice dress, but she put on jewelry and and something you know get her hair fixed up. Mm-hmm. And yep. she was always on. wanting her hair to be done. Oh yeah, she loved. When's having my hair, hair done. getting done? When am I getting my perm? <laughs> yes. So tell me, there was something else that we did in the summer. And and Will's, you had this dance event. Why don't you tell us about your dancing with your grandmother <laughs> at that? Uh, yeah. So I was um, I danced with a girl for her quinceanera. And, and and what is that for our... It's a Spanish tradition. Um, but anyway, it's kind of like a sweet 16 for a lot of Spanish countries. 
um, for Latin countries, I guess I should say. And so you being a dancer also had never done this particular type of dancing. Yeah, I had never done Mexican folk dance. So I learned that for a couple months leading up to it and then danced with with the girl. I was her chamberlain. I forget if I'm saying that right or not. Anyway, um, basically I was her dance partner for that night. But yeah, so Nana... Nana came with us to the quinceanera, and she was able to actually dance with us. I think she danced with me. I don't know if she—I think she only danced with me, but still. Mm-hmm. Um, she got out on the dance floor and without her walker. Like, I was holding her, and she was leaning on me a lot. But, you know, she was out there without her walker, and we danced, and she had fun. And we've got pictures from that night. She looks really lively. I think that was definitely one of the high points of the summer. Yeah, and she loved the—what's um, the band called? Oh, the mariachi band. She loved oh the mariachi gosh, she band. Oh, who doesn't? Come on. She was like... I love a mariachi the, band. Um, never mind. But she was very engaged, wasn't she? That, yes. That was a, big Mar- night. that was a big night for her. Again, it was an event, and she was very event. She could get her strength up for events. And um, so we had we had my children around in and out of the house for the summer, whether it was wedding. We had a lot of people here. But then as it got quiet toward the fall, back to those of us who were at home, the, my third oldest back to school the oldest two back to their respective cities where they lived. And um, we got more into the routine, and we began to see in the fall that she began to decline naturally. She's now 93 years old at this point. And um, I want to talk about some of the challenges, uh, because if, if this is to be encouraging and edifying, I want people to know that it wasn't all just sunshine and lollipops, right? There's there's a challenge of doing this, mm-hmm. but we were... And let me set it up first by saying... My wife and I, my wife being the only child, was very committed to never having her mom, to the extent that we could control it, never have her mom have to go to a home. Um, we wanted her to be with us on her last days, whether that would be a month, a year, or five years, and we didn't know on any given day um, how long it could be. But especially in this time of um, unnecessary and painfully inhumane um, COVID restrictions, we did not want her to have to be isolated in a hospital where we couldn't be with her and and who knows what they would do to her. So very honored and um, and blessed to be able to have her with us, but it comes with challenges, right? How would you describe your grandmother's personality? Hmm. Um, well, we already said very talkative. Talkative, stubborn, a little goofy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely goofy. Give me an example of what you mean by goofy. Um... Because most people don't think of stubborn and goofy in the same sentence, she, let alone. Um, just well, sh- she definitely she never ate eggs, not because she didn't like them, but because they were too high in cholesterol. <laughs> yeah, she was always a little bit worried about her health, which is kind of hilarious because we, she, as Daddy already said, she weighed eighty two pounds, and we were trying to get her as healthy as possible. But she would always want to make sure that she wasn't getting too fat. Yes, exactly. <laughs> she Whenever, was a stick. Yeah, she would always remind us that she still had fat on her bodies, even though she did not. And we all like, knew it. We would yeah. tell her, Nana, you are skin and bones. Trying to put some meat back on you. Exactly. And um, I actually, let me step back. So we, when we moved in this new, new house, one of the reasons we did this was so that she could have more access to us, right? Mm-hmm. She was no longer in a basement separated from us. And it no no longer required your mother to go down in the basement to be separate with us. So now we could begin having meals together at the kitchen table, right? Yep. So every night, Nana, your grandmother, my wife's mother, would sit at the opposite end of the table where I sat. And everybody else would sit on benches between us. And depending on how many guests we had, 
but she would be down there. And, and so it is funny that she wouldn't eat eggs. She also didn't like broccoli. Oh my gosh. She, <laughs> she hated broccoli. She was, which was funny because it wasn't all vegetables that she didn't like because she would eat spinach. She loved spinach. And she loved carrots. She loved carrots and stuff, but she just hated broccoli. And she, and that was, it happened to be one of the vegetables we have probably more frequently than others. So she was always like, uh, always having broccoli. <laughs> and what did she, she do if like, she didn't like a certain food? She would place her napkin just on top of her greens or broccoli, <laughs> whatever it was. Yes, oh, every night. Maybe it just gets to the trash and no one notices. Well, yeah, every night we'd tell her, all right, Nana, finish your broccoli or whatever, you know, green beans too. She'd do the same thing. Oh, Nana, finish your vegetables. Oh, okay, I will. And then, yeah, you turn around and you see just a napkin on the plate. And you're like, wow, Nana, you finished those vegetables really fast. And then after she gets up and goes to the bathroom, we'd all do lift the up. big reveal. Yeah, we'd say, what's the big <laughs> reveal? And we'd whip back the napkin and there were her vegetables. <laughs> so it's funny too, though, isn't it? Because she was concerned about her weight, 82 pounds, frail, 93 years old, worried about her weight. And yet that didn't apply when it came to dessert, did it? Oh, no. no. What was one of her favorite desserts? Ice cream. Ice cream. So every week when we'd go to the grocery store, or every other week, depending on how much she had eaten, we would get and cherry or, or raspberry or... Yeah, raspberry, usually raspberry was her favorite. <laughs> yeah. Raspberry or strawberry. Oh, yeah. Strawberry, too. That's right. Um, and let's talk about her. This this is an interesting point that I think it, it was confusing to us. And when you're trying to care for... Um, an elderly person, you want to be sensitive to everything they're feeling. And so we had to learn a little bit about her, her expressions, what was, what was real, and what was not. Mm -hmm. And so, as you know, she would be going around on her walker and, and to try to give a picture to some people what this was like. She was so fearful, wasn't she, of putting weight on her legs, especially her new hip. Yeah. Instead of re <laughs> instead of rehabbing it by walking on it, she put almost all of her weight on her arms, didn't, didn't yeah, she? No, yeah. like almost like ninety percent like of her make, weight like on her arms. Like a right angle as she walked. Yeah, yeah. So, she'd lean forward, almost like doing a push up on her walker. <laughs> yeah, all because she was afraid that she was going to break her uh, hip again, and because of this, her arms became actually quite strong. I remember picking her up one time when she had fallen. My wife and I picked her up, and I felt her strength in her arms. And I was like, "Wow, she's she's a lot stronger than I expected." Her arms, uh -huh. but at the expense of her legs. Well, when she would go around the house, she would groan a lot, wouldn't she? Uh huh. Yeah. But but what was funny is she would go out, come out of her bedroom, and she would work toward the bathroom with her walker, and she'd be going, oh, oh. And at first we thought, oh my goodness, you know, she's in really bad pain. But we would say, Nana, are you okay? And she would stop and say, oh, good morning, Kevin. And then she'd go back to, uh, uh. <laughs> so what's the weather today? Yes. So it took <laughs> yeah, us exactly. Uh, is it cold out today? Is it warm? Or the time when she was on the couch and she had to lift up her legs out on the deck. Oh, yeah. And she funny. looked like she was in ninth grade. I mean, she lifted up her, she tucked up her feet because we had to get something yeah, past we had her to legs. Get someone like, I think mama was walking by. And she her like or tucked something them and, into like crisscross apples. Yeah, like, yeah, she like picked up her legs like side saddle or something. I, I was, uh, I was stunned. I, and this was in September, maybe. Mm -hmm. I, I was stunned at how easily she moved. And I thought, hmm. Maybe there is a little bit of gamesmanship going on <laughs> yeah. here. Um, she wanted our sympathy. And um, so because of that, it was difficult to read when she was in real pain versus when she was just, you know, playing it up because she was a performer. Okay, so let's move Let's move now to Christmas time. She got to spend Thanksgiving and Christmas with us, right? 
Then right after Christmas, we had yet another wedding. <laughs> another wedding. Another wedding. And um, there's a really interesting event with this wedding that we didn't find out kind of until after the after the wedding. So uh, for both of the weddings this year, yeah, you look at me with like you didn't know this happened. I, I think we've talked about this, but I'll get into it. So for both weddings, we had a, a good friend of ours um, provide care for Bonnie's mom while we went to the wedding because we have to be there all day. We're participating in it. And we didn't want her mom to have to come until the ceremony itself, so she was there for a limited time for the important parts of the event, the ceremony, the reception. Well, <laughs> for the second wedding of our oldest daughter, <laughs> Nana was late. And so everybody's getting ready to go down the aisle, and we had to say, wait, can't go yet. The wedding was 2 o'clock, and it was 2.05, and so we called the woman who was driving her to the wedding, and she said, yes, I'm on my way, we're late. We'll be there in, I think it was like 10 or 15 minutes. We were 10 or 15 minutes late. And of course, everybody's saying, it figures, Nana's holding us up. <laughs> but what we didn't find out until after the wedding was that <laughs> she was kind of playing a, playing the part there that day. Oh, yeah. Be before going to the wedding, she was saying, well, I need this, that, and the other thing. And when the our caretaker, the woman who was helping us and, and driving her that day, uh, said, you're going to be late. She said, oh, they'll wait for me anyway. And then she said, this isn't my wedding anyway, so why are we hurrying? Which we were kind of shocked about, but not surprised. But that's how she was, wasn't she? She was, yeah. it was, it was an attention-getting mm -hmm. side of, of your grandmother. And I, I point that out not to disparage, but to say we're all, you know, when we're in this body, in this life, we're all sinful, and we have our sinful tendencies, and and we learned a lot about that in this um, process of caring for your grandmother. Yep. But I wanted to also point out how grateful your mother and I were to have um, the children home because you guys did a great benefit, not only to your grandmother to be there for her so she saw the youth, but to help physically with the work that your mother was required to do. I think it was a big benefit that you could read scripture to her, um, and I know that she liked that. She would comment on that. And um, even in her grumbliest moments, or despite her grumbliest moments, she would always thank uh, your mother at the end of the day for all of the care that she was giving. So, yes, we did butt heads from time to time. Um, it was a regular thing, but we never took it too seriously. Uh, what did she say whenever she got up from the dinner table, right? There's there's these habits that happen all the time. So she'd get up from the dinner table, head to the bathroom oh, and say, say, I'm, I'm going, going in. in. I'm, I'm going in, Bond. I'm going in, Bond. <laughs> Um, and then what did we do frequently after she came out of the bathroom as she's heading to bed? We would do what? A little oh, we, dance we party. We dance, yeah. Because normally whenever we clean up the kitchen, we play music to make it more enjoyable. And she would she come would, out, yeah, she would come out of the, the bathroom, bathroom going into the bedroom. And so we'd dance, with, dance her to bed. Yeah. And, <laughs> and she she'd whip out a few dance moves sometimes, too. Oh, yeah. No, she liked it. When we didn't do it, she would ask us, are you going to dance for me? Yeah. I think she liked the consistency. Yeah. And I think she liked, of course, the attention and um, and just being able to go back into her bed and, and lie down knowing that she'd been cared for and and uh, mom always prayed with her before bed. Well, I want to roll forward now because I want to talk about the end, her last days, because it's it's really important that people know how this happens, why it happens, and, and why it's such a blessing to us. Obviously, when you lose a parent, it's not easy. We don't make light of that. But 
there's there's some beautiful things that happened here that we prayed for that um, I want to reveal. Number one, my wife and I had always prayed, as I said at the outset, that we would never have to put her mother into a home, that she would never have to be subjected to hospital care or treatment. We even prayed that she would never be bedridden, which she wasn't. Um, it was an in- incredible burden for my wife to care for her 100% of the time, but we never had to, she never had to be in a wheelchair, right? Mm-hmm. She, even though she had a walker, she was able to get up out of her bed every day and, and move about and come to the kitchen. And this even happened on the last day. In the months preceding her death, she began to see visions of heaven, didn't she? Yeah. Tell definitely. us about that. Oh, I Sorry. can go. <laughs> I thought you were going to say something. Um, so she would see, she would tell us of uh, visions she had of people, what, like at a great banquet out, out in our front yard when there was nobody there. She'd tell, tell us that she would see people from all different nations and kinds of people. All different um, colorful clothing. Yeah, and they were eating like all different kinds of food and stuff. She said it looked like after they had just finished a church service or something. But yeah, she would always ask us, what are those people doing out there? And we'd say, what? There's no people. But yeah, when we kind of, we would talk to her and say, Nana, don't you think you're seeing heaven? She'd always say, oh no, I'm not seeing heaven. But mm-hmm. it was kind of, I mean... If it wasn't heaven, I don't know what it was. Right. To us, I think it was very clear that she was seeing visions of heaven, but yeah. I don't know if she didn't want to admit it yet because she was getting close or or if she wasn't able to compute what it was that she was seeing. Yeah, but she exactly. did describe it and, it, and that didn't happen just once. That happened multiple times, yeah. and it even happened with um, one of our friends who comes in <clears throat> on Tuesday while your mother teaches at tutorial. She said she said the same thing yeah. last week or a couple of weeks ago. And how about the the singing that she would hear from time to time? She would hear songs playing, and she kept thinking that the radio was on. She would always be like, somebody turn off the radio. Why is that radio still on? And she would always be like, she had a radio next to her bed, and she would always be messing with the buttons trying to turn it off. But it was always off, and none of us could hear the songs anyway. And she would tell us, like, what they were. She heard, like, Amazing Grace and... A few other worship songs, hymns. At one point, we asked her, I remember when I got home the day when she was hearing those things and Mama kept saying, no, the radio's not on. You you need to listen to what they're singing to you, but that's we're not hearing it. Mm-hmm. And then I said, Nana, what are they saying to you? And she said, they're saying, come home, come <laughs> home. And that just made the hair on the back of my neck stick up. I thought, oh my goodness, she's about ready to pass. And this was, again, it was September. I thought she was ready to go right then. But clearly, yeah, we, God, all, we all did. Yeah. Clearly, God was preparing her and us, but we didn't know at that point. But I thought it was noteworthy. So we get to last week. Well, last week from this recording, which will, by the time this runs, a couple months ago. But the last week of her life, again, she was never in real suffering. She was in She was in pain because she had broken her hip and recovered. She was in a walker and she was 93. So she definitely had those pains, but she never complained of of being sick. She never complained of troubles, trouble breathing or anything like that until the last day. Mm -hmm. And that was, in fact, she was pretty feisty the night before um, because (laughs) remember, she didn't want to eat dinner with us. Yeah, that's right. And, and this wasn't the only time it's happened. It happened a couple of times, but she was going to come to the dinner table when she wanted to. Well, that was a little unfair because my children had prepared the meal. They had served the meal. We ate the meal and then they cleaned it all up. 
And then a couple hours later, she wanted to come out and say, well, now I'm ready to eat. Mm-hmm. And I think that that was um, a little bit too much for us at that point. And, and Mama said, no, you'll have to wait until morning now. We'll, we'll feed you breakfast. But that was the night before she woke up feeling ill. And for the first time, she acknowledged that she wasn't feeling well, struggling to breathe. And she said a couple of things which are, are really important that our audience hear. Number one, she told my wife when she woke up, and it was either the morning or the or the nap time, she said, I know I'm supposed to go out that door today. And she pointed to it. Mm-hmm. It was our front door. She said, but I don't want to go. I like it here. So that was kind of startling to my wife. She also said because she was then struggling to breathe. My wife's a nurse, so she's been with a lot of patients at the end of their life. She knew that the heart was slowing down, stopping, and the blood was getting in, the fluid was getting into the lungs, the lungs were filling up. She also said, oh, I think I'm on my way out. Yeah. And, and then she followed that with a question to my wife, which was, how long does it take to die? <laughs> <laughs> which is, and what could my wife do, right? What could your mother answer? Um, I've not done it before. So. <laughs> no um, experience in that matter. Well, let's see. How long has it been since I last did that? <laughs> but let's talk about eggs because you said that she didn't like to eat eggs. And what did she eat on her last day? She ate eggs. She ate eggs and she enjoyed them. She came to the kitchen and ate her eggs. And, you know, I I got a text from your mother that you, you guys didn't know yet, but I knew that she was declining at that point. And um, she even was able to eat her dinner, although she just picked at it a little bit. But she was at the kitchen table eating her dinner mm-hmm. and she ate toast and her tea. And she was conversant, right, right up to the moment when she passed. Um, she actually passed in the bathroom just after finishing. She didn't brush her teeth. She swished and spit. And then she went to the bathroom and literally passed away in your mother's arms mm-hmm. after she went to the bathroom. It's real. It's raw. It's organic. But it's it's so beautiful because she didn't have to spend this prolonged period of time in a bed suffering, right? If she had been in a hospital, the hospital would have spent all that time sucking the fluid off the lungs, mm-hmm. could have extended her life by weeks or months just from going through that exercise yeah. to what end, right? She would have been suffering and the family would have been suffering and everybody would have been distressing about it. She didn't have to do that. She she wasn't in a bed um, languishing. You know, with my mother, when she passed away, yep. my, my mother was an alcoholic and she destroyed her body. So her end was not good. Um, and she was in a lot of pain, which you remember because you saw that. Uh-huh. Um, so it was way better than that. And she got to, it's, it's just like Old Testament times. You know, in the Bible, they talk about it's my time to go, and I'm going to be gathered to my people. Yeah, They'd have conversations, a blessing, and then the person, the man, the woman would pass away. Very similar to what happened here, which is a big blessing, right? Because you didn't have to go through that unnecessary suffering. And I think a lot of times we think that we're doing good. You know, the quote-unquote miracle of modern medicine sustains uh, physical existence yeah. way beyond what God ever intended— and actually increases pain and discomfort. She only had one day of real suffering. Yeah. One day of being short of breath. And she wasn't out of it. She wasn't in a coma, right? She, she was eating at the kitchen table at 7.45, and at 8, 8 o'clock, she's gone. Yep. You forgot about the ice cream part. Oh, you mean the difference between 
she would act like it was such an effort to lift up her spoon if that spoon had broccoli on it. But if that same spoon had ice cream on it, she had no problem getting it into her uh-huh. mouth. <laughs> I was just going to say it was funny how the one thing that she would always want to eat was ice cream. And that was... That was, the last, that was, oh, the, that last was the last thing, thing after her yeah. toast and tea. She had That's toast right. and tea, and then she had her ice cream. She got to have yeah. ice cream. Mm-hmm. So what What better way to go? One of our friends said, yeah, I, I would like to know that I could have a piece of chocolate cake right before leaving. Mm-hmm. Um, but my point in all of this is that when one's hope is in the risen Savior, when we understand and believe that all of temporal life, everything in the here and now is but a shadow of what is to come, and that we are to fix our eyes not on what is seen— but on what is unseen, because what is seen is temporary, whereas what is unseen is eternal, then this has, and if it doesn't, I would question whether one believes the Scriptures, this has fundamental ramifications for how we manage the natural decline of the human body and the inevitable passage from this life into eternity. When we return, we're going to ask and answer questions about today's topic— This is Jesus and the Meteorologists. So I wrote a little book all the way back in 2009 to address what was happening in America and what was likely to happen if we did not take corrective action. Unfortunately, too many of my predictions are coming true. The only surprise is the speed at which we have reached the precipice. The title of that little book is The Experts, and you can buy it on our webpage. Just go to JesusAndTheMeteorologist.com, click the image of the little brown book, and we'll send it to you for only $9.99. And then be sure to let me know what you think. Welcome back to Jesus and the Meteorologists. My name is Kevin Kukaji, and I am your host on this very unique and special episode 21, where we talk about very hard topic, death, but it's the most real topic that we could ever probably talk about on this or any episode. Uh, if you would like to call in or ask questions on a future episode, please email your request to ke- questions at icebergsnotsnowflakes.com. Okay, so a couple of questions to address, and they're great questions. One is, I, I mentioned that we were so grateful that my wife's mother did not have to go to the hospital because it would have been unnecessarily prolonging suffering, which didn't happen until the last day. But a good question is, you know, what is the line? Where where do you draw the line with modern medicine? When is it, uh, when do I believe it's effective and useful? I'm not just, certainly not just suggesting that we shouldn't use any medicine at all um, or even life-enhancing uh, treatments. To me, and this is just my view, I would always make the distinction depending on where the person is in the journey of life, right? Clearly, if one of my children here were injured in an accident, I'm sure I would be doing everything as long as it appeared that they weren't brain dead, right? I would be doing everything in my power and strength with hospitals and and anybody who had uh, the ability to assist to extend or to return their life to what it was. I think the question in that in, in that position, as well as in uh, my mother-in-law's position, is where is the person in life? Are they capable of living, first of all, on their own? Because I, I wouldn't be in favor ever of artificially sustaining a person's life where the only way they exist is if it's through medicine, right? The only way they exist is if it's from a machine, unless we're talking about 
I'm not talking about wheelchair, crutches, um, something that would allow you to still, as long as you're with it, right? You have all of your facilities. But I think we, the dividing line to me is, are we just extending physical existence or are we allowing the person to still exist who has all of his, all of his faculties to be able to, to be rational and to think and to love and to, to talk, to read, to write, um, even if it's limited versus somebody who's would be brain dead, somebody who is um, physically, because in my mother-in-law's situation, she was coming to the end of her life. We knew when she came into her house because she was 92 when she moved in. Mm -hmm. She was 93 when she moved out. That was the natural process. So that's, that's where I would draw the line, and that would be my encouragement. The second question, another good question, is what are some recommendations? Not everybody is in our situation. Some people may not have room at home, right? You might be living in an apartment, or you might be living in a very small home. You might be living in a situation where the husband and wife work, and there's no one to care for your parent other than someone outside the home. In that regard, by, by the way, it is case by case. I, it's it's definitely case by case. I do believe that if it were, if we were in a situation where we both had to work and no one could be at home to care for Bonnie's mom, I think we definitely would have chosen in home friend that we could pay for as long as we could afford it, and that that takes faith and trust. It, it did even here because we didn't know how long your grandmother was going to live. We didn't say, oh, we've got this all mapped out. We've got enough finances forever. We don't. All we knew is that we felt convicted in our hearts that God had called us for Bonnie's mom to live with us until the end of her life and that we were to care for her. We didn't know where the means were going to come from. We didn't, we didn't know what was going to happen if something ex extraordinary happened to her where we were required to put her into a, a home because she you know, was physically beyond our capacity. But that never happened, and we trusted God that we would just take it one day at a time, and that would be my admonition and an encouragement to others who would have a similar situation with a parent or a family member, but maybe didn't have the freedom to have someone at home. I would always encourage staying with family and friends first, because that's always better than the cold institution of a hospital. It's much more cost-effective, but it's going to depend upon the medical exigencies, if I could use a big word. And I think that that's, that's key. But through all of this, we must never, never forget that God is never going to put something in our lives that is more than we can bear. And sometimes we rush to the world's solution thinking that that's the only way it can be done rather than obeying. And obeying is sometimes scary. Obeying can be very difficult. But God doesn't, he, he's very clear in scripture that we have enough trouble for each day. If we look down the road and say, oh my gosh, how am I going to handle this for the next 10 years? He doesn't want us to try to figure that out. He doesn't even want us to try to figure it out for the next month or the next week. He says one day at a time, right? And that's the only way that we made it through this, one day at a time. Because I can tell you there were some days where we were like, wow, this is difficult. And I know your mother experienced the same thing. This is very difficult, but one day at a time. We had to be strong enough to know this might go on for a number of years, right? It could go on for days. And in the end, it was kind of quick. I mean, we knew that she was not in 
you know, she was declining. She was 93 and a half. But really on the day when I picked you up and told you last week that your grandmother had passed, you looked at me with shocked eyes like, well, I just saw her this morning. Everything seemed normal within that environment, right? Yeah. So um, my long answer to that second question is one day at a time, um, look at each circumstance differently with regard to what those facts are, but always, always returning to God's promises, which is he will never burden us with more than we can bear. He'll always provide solutions for us if we trust in him. And I think that that's our admonition. That's all the time we have today, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks again to our icebergs, our producer, Rachel, and to all of our listeners and supporters. In the never-ending battle for hearts and minds, we aim to find and develop young men and women who, like the men of Issachar, understand the times and who know what to do. How can we know what we're to do unless we believe what is true? My name is Kevin Cookagee, and you've been listening to Jesus and the Meteorologists. Meteorologists.